You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Uh, New Year's Eve came early, apparently, for a lot of people. Hang on. And by the way, college football, think you got to go with the Tigers. I don't care what way you look at it, offense, defense, you got to go with the Tigers. Welcome to Grace Community Church. So glad that you're here. If this is your first time, we extend to you a special welcome. My name is Brad. Uh, I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. And if it's your first time, I think I already said that. It's going to be one of those days. I've got a couple of uh, prayer requests for you. Um, Jim Acock, I talked with Joy on the way over, doing extremely well, was supposed to come home Thursday, and now it looks like he's going to come home Tuesday, day after tomorrow. So um, 93 years old, they can't believe it. We have no trouble believing it, that he is doing as well as he is with the surgery and uh, repaired or a new hip, I suppose, and heading home soon. So pray that they'll be able to come on home. I know they'd like to. And then my aunt called uh, this morning, uh, my uncle, not married to that aunt, but another set, Roy B. Tally is in the hospital with pneumonia, and he's um, elderly and not been in good health lately, so just pray for him. Believer, loves the Lord, got pneumonia, and it must run in the family. I've had pneumonia as well. Yesterday, horrible coughing fits. I'm not contagious, so if I... We've shake, shaken hands, don't worry about it. Uh, but if I have a really uh, bad coughing fit today, Mike Church, if you would, just come on up and read the notes. They're free. I think you'll do okay. Either that or send Parker up. Well, December 29th, 2019. Does this feel more like the end of a decade or just the space between... Christmas and New Year's. Now look, I love the space between Christmas and New Year's. I think most of you do too. It just feels a little more relaxed. Everything is kind of kind of on, on, on slow speed. And it's just a time to enjoy family um, and, and extra time to do some of the things that you like to do. So whether this feels more like the end of a decade, the beginning of a new, or just kind of the space between Christmas and New Year's may depend on whether you are a big picture person or a detail person. It may not be necessarily aligned as you would expect. The big picture, oh yeah, no, not necessarily. So how was it with the family and some of that extra time that you have with the family? I bet you think your family is the only one with the weird dynamics that just played out this past week. But trust me, it's not the only family. Every family has those dynamics. How do you see yourself and how were you seen in the course or in the space of the family gatherings? I mean, are you King Tut and Queen Bee? Or are you more like Oliver Twist and Cinderella when we first meet them. Have you discovered yet that what other people think of you can stay with you for the rest of your years? 
Parents, we talked about this in the parenting class, but I want to say it to, to the whole group, just as an aside. Be careful with what you say about your children because you are forming their mental image of, of who they are, even as you call them lazy or brilliant on both ends of the spectrum. If, you, if you're saying, oh, that's always the one that whines or that's the one that gets out of work, this, that, and the other. If you're constantly saying that, especially in front of them, but even behind their backs, you're forming those mental images that they are going to carry with them the rest of their lives. Have high expectations for your children and extend grace. Or as Linda used to say, my first wife, who is now with the Lord, it's better to just hold a golden crown over their heads and help them to grow into it. That's a beautiful way for us to raise our children. Well, in a sense, the text today is going to be the Lord holding a beautiful crown over our heads. And he's saying, and I'm going to help you grow into it. Over the next four weeks on Sunday mornings, we're going to transition from 2019 to 2020 with this mini-series titled, The More Things Change, The More Jesus Stays the Same. Here's the schedule. Today, we're going to talk about identity, who we are in Christ. And it's going to be this message or the truth that we hear today in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 12 that will set the stage for everything else. Next week we'll think about responsibility. And this is quite a responsibility. Be you whole, be ye holy as I am holy. It's said in the Old Testament, couldn't do it then. Said in the New Testament, only done with Christ through us, making us holy. But we do have responsibility to give energy toward living a godly and righteous life. Three, formation. Thinking, speaking, and living biblically. We have come so far from talking like script, using biblical language in our conversations with one another because we are afraid somebody will be listening. We don't want to offend them. We don't say things to the world. I remember maybe 20 years ago, the big thing in evangelical churches was don't use Christianese. Lost people can't understand. That's not our primary responsibility. Of course we want to give thought. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us to give thought to how we speak with one another. We don't want to put barriers between people and the cross. But at the same time, we need to think, speak, and live biblically. We'll talk about that in Two weeks. And then finally, mission. Faithfulness in life and witness. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 22. Um, as you can see, we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Peter, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But I think that about a lot of books of the Bible. I, I, I guess that's better than uh, saying, well, I don't really like that book of the Bible all that much. The key to enjoy in Scripture, sometimes it seems, is to just slow down, absorb it, take it in. We'll do that a little bit with the text today. And then obey what you learn, of course. The good news this week and always is that we are not required to live this life in our own strength. In fact, we cannot live it in our own strength. But in Jesus' strength and the power of the Holy Spirit according.
according to the Father's plan. So, identity with Christ or union with Christ, that is our text in 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. We're going to read all 12 verses. And I have a challenge for those of you who are in grades 3 through 5. Third grade through fifth grade. Are you listening? Because here's the challenge. Now we've just come through the Advent season, right? And we had four themes in the Advent season. Hope, peace, joy, and love. I want you to count up in this text as we read through all the times that you see those four words. Hope, peace, (coughs) joy, and love. We're going to also count rejoice because that's close enough to joy, right? It's, it's talking about joy. Parents, you can help, but only third to fifth grade can answer when I ask the question after we read the text and pray. Um, I started to think about counting up grace and mercy and faithfulness and faith and believe, but we'd be here all day trying to count all of these words. This text is loaded with themes about God's goodness to us and what that means for us as believers. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It is our custom to stand as the scripture is being read. So if you would please rise for the reading of God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's going in a circle. All of these places where there are churches in all of these regions in what is modern-day Turkey. This is probably the direction he expects uh, this letter to be read in all of these churches. According, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, so elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The word of God for the people of God. Father, thank you for this wonderful truth that is our privilege to absorb, engage, believe, and live. The things in which age, into which angels long to look are ours as a gift. So open our hearts and fill them full with Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, BC. All right, third through fifth graders. Does anybody have a count? How many times hope, peace, joy, rejoice, and love? Anybody? Adults? Huh? Six, that's right. Six. Yes, I counted the first time. I got seven. Then I counted again. I got six. I asked Miss Allison to count. She said six. I'm like, I'm going with six. That's it. So, thank you for paying attention. Um, you're going to love this message. I know sixth grader down is going to love this message. Uh, four thoughts from today's text, beginning with the breathtaking reality of our union with Christ. The Apostle Peter may be my favorite New Testament character, and I'm not kidding. Even though many consider Peter to be impulsive and brash and unstable, for which there is some evidence. He's also humble and passionate in the right ways and full of joy in Christ. I mean, think about Peter. Old Peter got out of the boat. He started looking at the waves. Man, that's not what the rest of the apostles thought. They were like, he walked on water. I wish I had done that. I wish I had been the one to ask the Lord if I could come to him. So he was rash, but he was passionate, like I say, in the right ways and full of joy in Christ. I think Peter is also a great teacher, which is evident in the very first verses of the letter that he wrote to these several churches in what is modern-day Turkey. You can sense Peter's passion for Jesus and his deep desire to instruct his brothers and sisters in Christ. When Peter addresses his readers as an apostle, he's indicating something of great importance. Now, later in chapter 5, he's going to address, or chapter 4, I believe it is, somewhere in there, 4 and 5. He's going to address the elders of the churches as a fellow elder. Think about that. Here's a man who was given the keys to the kingdom by Jesus. I got no problems with that language. I've got no problems with Peter being the rock on which the church is built. Not in the way the Roman Catholics think about it. But Jesus, when he said, you are the rock on which the church is built, every time the gospel went to a new group of people, who was there? Peter. Jews at Pentecost, Samaritans, 
Philip preached the word. They were baptized, but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until Peter and John came, affirmed the gospel message, laid hands on them. Gentiles, Cornelius, Peter was there every step of the way. And yet he refers to himself as a fellow elder. Well, he begins this letter saying, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's what Thomas Schreiner says about what Peter was indicating. He, he says, as an apostle, he was an authoritative messenger and interpreter of the gospel. This is really important for understanding how scripture works. Dan and Tricia Clemens were, are here this morning. They taught at South Wake Bible Institute. In fact, several of you took the class on counseling. We're so grateful for your ministry, not only to, to the church at the um, Triangle community, but also to all the churches in the area where you have done such a great service for counseling for the Lord. I'm going to be teaching a, a class in the spring on the Gospels. And one of the first things that we're going to learn is that it's impossible to understand the Gospels without the epistles. The, the apostles, those who were with Christ and now are carrying the message, the apostles and prophets in the New Testament, explain what the incarnation and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus meant, his ascension back to heaven. All of that is explained by the apostles. And we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church is. It's what we're told. At the end of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter does a wonderful job explaining the meaning of the cross. But in these first two verses of chapter 1, he explains who we are as those who have been brought into covenant with God, a covenant relationship with God, through Jesus' blood. Peter was writing to mostly Gentile audiences, but he uses a lot of languages that would have been familiar to, the, to Jewish members of the congregation as well. And he has an expectation that these Gentiles understand what he's talking about when he refers back to the Old Testament. And he calls these Jews and Gentiles alike elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. There's a lot in just that little sentence, is there not? It took the church three to four years to articulate a, 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 a cohesive, a, a, a concise and cohesive doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity was always there from the time of the New Testament on, but it was only in response to heresy about people's beliefs that Jesus was created and not eternal God, just like the Father and the Spirit. It was only then that the... That the um, doctrine was articulated as we know it today. Three persons, one essence. But the doctrine of the Trinity or the truth of the Trinity was there from the earliest days of the New Testament. Do you see that the way that all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are intimately involved in our salvation? This is one theologically rich introduction to a letter written to churches. So if the Trinity is a doctrine that is only fully understood in the New Testament, we look back, we see it in the Old Testament, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
but it's really only stood, understood in view of the cross and of New Testament teaching. If that's true, then salvation in Christ can only be fully understood in the context of the Old Testament teaching because it's not Old Testament here, New Testament here. The New Testament is a completion of the Old Testament. I always go from my left to right. It'd be better if I go from your left to right, wouldn't it? Here's the Old Testament. It's completed in the New Testament. God's redemptive acts in history are finally complete in Jesus. So when Peter writes that we are elect exiles of the dispersion, you can only understand what he fully knows, what he fully means if you know Old Testament history, both in Scripture and the history that ran alongside of Scripture, though it's not necessarily written down. When the Jewish nation, God's holy people, sinned, God warned them over and over, and finally he said, I'm going to do what I've been telling you. I'm going to judge you by removing you from your land and spreading you all over the Babylonian Empire, which became the uh, um, <clears throat> Persian and then the Roman Empire. The, the people were scattered everywhere. But it was in those places that they had been taken to that the world began to learn about Yahweh, about God, and to understand the ways of God. And it prepared the way for the spread of the gospel. Beautifully. Now, Peter says to Christ's followers, you are elect exiles. It's not that you're under judgment, but God has scattered you all over the world so that wherever you are and wherever you go, the gospel goes with you. Do not get comfortable in this world. The older I, I, I am, the more comfort I desire. The more I want to stay where I am, the more I don't like to go. We can never, as believers, become comfortable in this world. While you are here, though, you will make the ways of God known everywhere. It's a privilege to be an ambassador of Christ and the gospel on this earth. And First Peter was written to a people who were suffering already for their faith, and probably at a little higher level than we suffer right now. But most of the suffering that's written about in the New Testament is not people being martyred for their faith. It was on the way, but most of the suffering they were doing is the same kind that you get. Talk about Jesus too much at work and what's going to happen. At the very least, you're not getting advances. You may not be fired from your job, but you're not moving up. You're not upwardly mobile if you're talking about Christ. So a willingness to suffer for Christ, Peter says over and over in his letter, only increases our witness. Another truth that Peter roots in the Old Testament is listed at the end of verse 2. Our relationship with God is based on sprinkling of Jesus' blood. So, what's he talking about? In the Old Testament, Peter is expecting his readers to think back to Exodus 24, when Moses had given the law, and then the people responded by saying, we will keep all of the law, we'll keep everything in it. Moses took blood of an animal that had been sacrificed, and he threw it on the people. In essence, it, 
kind of sprinkled a lot of people. And he said, okay, if you don't keep that law, and this is what's going to happen. <laughs> what's happened to this animal is going to happen to you. Well, nobody could keep the law. Anybody, is there anybody who has kept the law of God completely this morning? Anybody that already, just, just in this day, we can't say that we've kept the law of God perfectly. Much less our entire lives. <clears throat> and so, God said, once a year, we're going to take that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat for the covering of sins. But of course, that couldn't last forever. But Jesus' blood is good for all eternity. We have been sprinkled by the blood, those of us who believe and follow Christ are covered by that blood. What a blessed position. God has brought us into. We are one with Christ because of his sacrifice on our behalf. Romans says that we died with him, we live with him. Our life is wrapped up in Jesus. Three times in the New Testament, the word Christian is used. Only one of those is in a positive way. The other two were making a mockery of people who followed Christ. But over and over we're told that we're united with Christ and in Christ. And even though it's not those exact words in this text, that is exactly what he's talking about. What a blessed position. And since we are not Jews, we had to have received this privilege by God's design in some other way. How do we hold this or are we placed in this privileged place? By being elected into God's family. Now verse 2 says that we were elected according to God's foreknowledge. Does that mean that God knew what decision we would make when we, would be, when we were confronted with the gospel? And thus he chose us to be in his family. If you'll look carefully here and in Romans 8 and Romans 11 where God's foreknowledge is associated with his people there's no mention of our decision this is an active foreknowledge that is all about God's covenant with his people remember Peter is writing primarily to Gentiles and their position in the family of God when is the last time you just sat down and said, how great is this salvation? Albert McKinney used to always say on oh, Testimony Sundays or Testimony Evenings, he'd start off by saying, I'd like to thank God for my salvation. What a beautiful way to start a testimony. I heard it so many times that I almost would like, okay, anything else? But one day it just hit me, maybe when Albert was saying it. That's the best thing you could possibly say. I would like to thank God for my salvation. <clears throat> Consider both the privilege and responsibility as members of the family of God that are articulated to us in 1 Peter 2, 9-10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. By the way, that would have been offensive to Jews because who could be priest in the Old Testament? What tribe? What tribe did you have to be a part of to be a priest? Levi. Levi. 
You had to be a Levite in order to be a priest. But all of us have been made priest. That's not an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament. And how does that happen? How does it work out? I seriously thought about preaching from Psalm 110, 1, Psalm 111. I understand that God has structured all of this. And so this statement doesn't really mean everything that it sounds like it means. But the Bible almost doesn't work without Psalm 110. Six or eight verses in Psalm 110. He starts off by saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right feet until I make your enemies your footstool. And then in verse 4, he says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Out of the blue, God has this amazing design. You have to be a Levite to be a priest. But Melchizedek shows up out of nowhere in Genesis. And Abraham pays tithes to him. And then Psalm 110, what in the world is it about? It puts all, it makes all of Scripture work. And Hebrews tells us how that happens. So we are a chosen people, uh, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his <coughs> own possession. Is it true that Jesus is mine? Absolutely. It's even more true that you are His. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's great news, as is our second point. Jesus our living hope, and soon coming King. Now this is going to be really exciting for those kindergarten, first, second, third grades, third, third graders. I know you're going to love this. In fact, you just can't wait to get to lunch and talk about this. Greek verbs have three components. Voice, tense, and mood. The mood is indicating sort of the mood of what's being said. The indicative mood tells you that a writer is indicating something that he wants you to know. He's given you information about what God has done for you. The imperative mode, what is that? It's a mode of command. It's imperative that you do this. I'm telling you to do this. Most of the authors in the New Testament begin their letters with verbs in the indicative mood. And only after they have established who we are in Christ, everything that God has done for us, then they begin to say, you do it, you live the way that you live because of what I've already told you about who God is. So in other words, God's favorite words are not because I said so. They were in the Old Testament because I said so, and even still we couldn't do it, right? Now in the New Testament, he tells us everything we need to know about our position. Then he says, and oh, by the way, you should live a certain way. You may or may not find this interesting, but think about this. Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans only has two imperative verbs, and they're both in, in Romans 6. Live like 
your position in Christ. So this amazing book, it's not to chapter 12 before he starts saying, all right, now this is what you got to do. Based on everything I've told you about God, who God is and how you are rightly related to him, now get going. And he goes pretty hot and heavy from 12 on. But that is the pattern. In 1 Peter, a much smaller letter than Romans, the imperative verbs begin in the 13th verse of the first chapter. So next week's text and sermon will be a response to today's truth. I want us to absorb the truth about the future, our future, that God wants his children to know. Children who now live in exile, verses 3 to 5. Once again, just slow down and think about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. One of those terms that we don't use a lot today, but it's very big in the New Testament. Caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's not... Life's hard, then you die. And then it gets good. That's true. It does get good. Really good then. But we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <coughs> to an inheritance that is imperishable. You have food that is that You have food that is, is not imperishable in your refrigerator right now. You don't eat it today. I wouldn't need it tomorrow. Undefiled. Some of you feel very defiled through abuse or some other horrible thing that's happened to you. Our salvation is undefiled. And it's unfading. It's not going anywhere. It's kept in heaven for you. We're saved already. We know Christ. God is sanctifying us, but our full salvation will be revealed. Who, by God's power, we, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But what if I walk away? Well, there are warnings about that in Scripture. But what he's telling us here is not so much you holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. We've only begun to understand what salvation means for God's people. And in fact, the more we just immerse ourselves in the world and the culture, that's what he was talking about. Your exiles, don't get comfortable here. The, the culture's not going to accept you. Whatever you give, they want more. They don't want you to be in their midst. We want everybody to feel comfortable. We do. We want to feel comfortable ourselves. And God says to us, don't be comfortable. You don't belong there. But the day is coming where it all will be revealed. And it's way better than you could ever hope or ask. In the meantime, we have the privilege of trusting God in our struggle. 
bringing both peace and perspective. We, <clears throat> we so often begin the Christian life where we must, trusting God wholly. If you don't say, I've got no hope. But then we are very soon tempted to begin to try to work out our time as exiles in our own strength and according to our own wisdom. One of the reasons God brings trials into our lives is to keep us dependent on Him. And we do so by trusting His goodness, even when life, especially when life is hard. And that's the focus of our third point. Trials designed by God, we could say, for His glory and our good. What areas of your life are trouble for you, even to the point of being sources of grief? Look, grief is a beautiful God-given response to deep pain in our lives. And in fact, I'm not worried about you when you grieve over difficulties. I'm worried about you when you just stay on the surface and don't ever grieve. You remember Jesus at Lazarus' tomb crying out not only in sorrow but in anger against sin and death. Death is an enemy. And we should never just say everything's okay with God. We grieve. Go there. But then trust God. Keep your trust in God. What are we to make of the difficulties of this life? Even though Peter doesn't issue commands here, his word have that imperative kind of a feel to them, kind of a kind of a, a, a command. It's like you when your children do something. Oh, that's really good, honey. You cleaned your room without being asked. That's kind of what Peter is doing here. You do this, and that's a good thing. Keep doing this. <clears throat> you don't mind reading this text again, I know. Verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Stop. Slow down. Why would it be necessary? According to God's design. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. We're not talking about gold that has got impurities, but gold that has been purified. So is he talking about the gold, or is he talking about your faith? Yes is the answer. So that your Faith more precious than gold has been that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation or appearing of Jesus Christ. You may think that the difficulties you are facing are evidence of God's displeasure with you or a lack of love for you care about your circumstances. Oh, contrary. That could not possibly be further from the truth. God is using the very thing that is causing so much pain to bring you to a place you could have never been without it. 
God says that your trust in Him is more genuine and more precious than gold. When He returns at the revelation of Jesus Christ, it'll all make sense. Look for His coming at any moment. The early church certainly did, and we are to never let go of our expectation that we will see Jesus today. We may see him today. What does faith look like? Verses 8 and 9 give a pretty good description, reminding us that we can always trust God. And as we do, rather than bemoaning our status as exiles, we will be filled with the joy that cannot be explained and that gives evidence that our relationship with Jesus is genuine. And people see that and they want to know this Jesus. By the way, as we think about all of this, these words, I think my generation, more than the generation that many of you live in, struggled, we struggled with doubting our salvation. Am I really saved? Am I truly saved? 1 John 5, 1 says, the one who believes, or not only is that the indicative uh, mood, it's also the present tense. And the indication is the one who is continually believing that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Some of you think back, did I say the right prayer? Did I, you know, was I baptized at the right time? And all this, look, let me ask you, are you trusting anything other than what Jesus did on the cross as payment for your sins? Are you trusting anything else for your salvation? Yeah, but I've just done it. Are you trusting anything other than Jesus? Then you're saved. And you can have this same inexpressible joy that Peter talks about over and over. It just bubbles over in this passionate man. We have the privilege of seeing the ongoing benefit of the salvation that God has worked into us, which is going to be fully revealed later. That's good news, and so is the last point. The breathtaking reality of our union with Christ. Wait a minute, that's the first point as well. Exactly. Although I may have connected a few dots for you in this text, you already know most of this. But we need always to be reminded of how great our salvation in Christ is. Speaking of connecting dots, the prophets who spoke of the Messiah's suffering, such as Isaiah and Zechariah and David, couldn't make sense of a suffering servant who was also the Messiah. And they were like, Lord, what are you... I know I'm saying what you want me to say, but what is it you're talking about? Who is it you're talking about? This doesn't make sense to me. It was the Spirit of Christ who led them to write about Jesus' betrayal, crucifixion, resurrection. And even though they couldn't understand, they just trusted God in this plan. So with their faithful service and hungry hearts, God gave them some level of understanding about what they were writing, right? Now, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Have you considered that with the knowledge you have of God's ways or the sufferings you're experiencing, not in the same way he's talking about here, but these patterns that keep popping up all through Scripture and all, all the way in our lives, we see these patterns of God's working all these ways. Have you considered that some of your sufferings may be serving others, not only others who are present now, but future generations? Have you also noticed how often the words suffering and glory are just right next to one another in the New Testament, over and over and over again? It's only one of the breathtaking mysteries of our relationship with the creator of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How big a deal is it? Angels desperately want to know. But they can't know. They have no understanding of what it's like to be a hell-bound sinner. To be snatched from destruction. Like Jonathan Edwards talked about, you're hanging by a thread over the pit and it could snap at any moment. But God rescues us no matter if we're saved at 6 or 60. He delivers us from that. Do you think we'll have knowledge of hell and heaven? I do. Do you think that enhances our experience in heaven or detracts from it? It enhances it. We have a perfect perspective at that time. The people that we so desperately want to be saved, our hearts will not be thinking like that. We'll understand not only what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved to. And angels don't get that. How great is the salvation? Do we take it? For granted, or do we embrace what God has done for us in Christ? If you do not know Jesus, if, if, if some of this is just like, this is, I'm really excited about all this, but I have no idea what you're saying. Just understand this. When we acknowledge our sin before the Lord, as he says, we are sinners. Not like nobody's perfect, but uh, I'm hanging by a thread. And we cry out, Lord, I confess that I am a sinner. And then also we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he took our punishment upon himself. He took our sins upon himself. It was a great exchange, our sin for his righteousness. And now the righteousness of Christ, when we believe, is given to us in the same way that he took our sins upon himself. So cry out, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. I believe that Jesus died for me. Dear Lord Jesus, save me now. And you will become a child of God. You get all of these blessings that God has designed for his people. What a great God. What a great salvation. Would you stand with me and let's just sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.
outside the body of Christ. Just one of the ways we say to the world, God loves you. We say to one another, the Lord loves you. He's going to take care of your needs. And it's certainly the way we can say that to the world. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, the worship team will come. Ushers will come. And we'll take that offering that goes to meet the needs of others. That's the only thing it goes to. Father, We are blessed recipients of a salvation that brings inexpressible joy. Maybe because Jesus is the unspeakable gift that was given to us. And the unknowable work of God that has been done in our hearts, knowable to a point but only to be fully revealed when Jesus comes again, his second advent. We long for Jesus to come. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We give great praise and honor and glory to the one who saved us. We thank you for the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in our lives, both to bring us into the family, to bring joy even in the midst of trials. And today, as we are privileged to be a part of the work of God, the heart of God going forth to help those in need, we ask that you would use these monies, these offerings as a great blessing. And in the end, may those who receive see Jesus high and exalted. His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.